Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents, raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Korean American Parenting Podcast. My name is Jerry Wan, one of your two co-hosts, and today we are really excited to share with you a conversation that we had yesterday with my co-host, Jang Cho, and three of her fellow Asian American child psychiatrist friends, Drs. Annie Lee, Eunice Wen, and Yeji Yoon. And so they came together and wanted to share their thoughts, expertise, and advice on how to best deal with what is going on and how we can better uh, talk to about these tough issues with our parent, with our children, uh, parents too. And so uh, it is a live Q&A that we had on Clubhouse yesterday on Wednesday, March 31st. We hope you enjoy and please do check the show notes for ways to reach out to the doctors and for the resources mentioned in the show. Thank you. Would love to welcome everybody to this uh, very timely, important and necessary conversation about how to deal with all of this stuff that's going on and how to talk about it with our kids. Um, as for myself, um, having a hard time processing it, dealing with it, making sense of it all. Um, but how do we deal, how do we talk to our kids about it? What, what are some tips? So we are so uh, blessed here um, and it was all their idea. And, and so I, I wanna thank them foremost, um, these four amazing, awesome Asian American uh, child psychiatrists that we have on stage. Uh, we are joined today by Dr. Jang Cho, Dr. Annie Lee, Dr. Yeji Yoon, and Dr. Yunus Yoon, um, who are going to be sharing with you uh, their perspectives, their POVs, and plenty of time for questions. This session will last about 90 minutes, uh, 75 to 90 minutes. So, um, And for those of you who are joining us now um, but cannot stay till the end, uh, or you might be listening to this recording as an episode on the Korean American Parenting Podcast, that Dr. Jang Cho and I co-host together. Um, and so without further ado, uh, we want to welcome our amazing guests here. And so we'll start with Dr. Cho, um, if you could introduce yourself to the room. Hi, everybody. Um, so nice to see so many faces. Um, thank you for coming. My name is Jang Cho. I am a child and adolescent psychiatrist and also with Jerry, we co-host um, Korean American Parenting Podcast. Um, and my special interest has always been working with Asian American youth and families. Um, and I am so honored to have my dear colleagues here to join me to talk about this really important topic that has become even more important in the past couple of weeks. So I hope that everybody um, can listen in. We can also give you some advice, but also that I would like just to be just the start of a talk um, that can go on um, from now on. Thank you. And Dr. Lee, welcome. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Annie Lee. 
Um, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to uh, be in this space um, with all of us. Um, I am also a child adolescent psychiatrist. My interests are intersecting with um, two main interests. One is emergency psychiatry and also um, Asian American mental health. And I think that intersection takes place in my work in New York City, um, where I am um, uh, emergency psychiatrist in a busy um, hospital center, and I am seeing. Um, I'm that's my bread and butter. My work right now is really um, helping a lot of kids who are really struggling through the course of the pandemic. Um, and I'm also a mom. I have two children, um, and so parenting and working with a child psychiatrist has given me a very unique perspective during this time. Awesome. Thank you. And we hear the kids in the background, and I know many of our listeners here and our friends that are joining are also trying to juggle dinner time, bath time, sleep time. We're, from wherever you're listening, we, we, we thank you for, for joining. Dr. Yeji Yoon, welcome. Hello, everyone. My name is Yeji Yoon, and I'm a child psychiatrist, but I'm also a pediatrician as well. I was trained in pediatrics, dental psychiatry, and child adolescent psychiatrist psychiatry and I have um, two kids. I have one who is in kindergarten and I have a fifth grader who is very interested in um, surroundings and what's going on in the world. So I feel for you and I feel with you to all of the parents or non-parents or the friends and colleagues who are here. And just a little bit of background, I was born and raised in South Korea, but I lived in Australia when I was 12, and I returned to Korea, and then I moved to the States for the training and currently working and living here. So I have always considered myself as a third culture kid, um, but also I've always been um, blessed to feel like I'm a global citizen, not tied to one culture or one nationality or ethnicity. Um, so I think I can bring some different perspectives um, as, you know, my professional background, also personal background as well. Awesome. Thank you. And definitely not last, uh, but just alphabetically, our fourth guest, uh, Dr. Yunishuan. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me here. I am Yunishuan. Um, welcome everyone who joined us at this moment, at this space that unite together at this such an important moment for the entire Asian American community. And uh, myself, I am currently in my final year as a child and adolescent psychiatry fellow at Yale Child Study Center. And um, like um, other guest speakers here, uh, I am also a mother. I am a 1.5 generation originally from Hong Kong. I speak Cantonese and Mandarin. And I am a mother of two Asian American young little boys, five and two. So um, very resonating to many of the uh, feelings around being parents, being a daughter of a elderly parents who immigrant here, many of those vulnerable feelings with everyone. Um, and I am also a founder and director of a group called Chat Together, acronym stands for Compassionate Home Action Together. We, uh, we use interactive theater as a way to address cross-cultural issues in Asian American families. So like many of us, guess because here I'm very interested and passionate to work with the Asian American family. We want to contribute to a little bit uh, what we can make us more comfortable, feeling a little bit better together being in this moment. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And I just want to 
uh, before we, we go on and, and talk about what we're here to talk about, um, thank you for making yourselves available today. Uh, I, I want to share with the audience, whether you're here live in Clubhouse or listening to it on podcast, this was a complete uh, grassroots effort led by the four doctors here. Um, you can imagine how busy they are between their, their jobs and their children. Um, we believe that this is so important and so necessary for us to talk about. Um, and, and so uh, before we do get started, I just do want to share some thoughts. Um, you know, uh, I am not, but the other four guests here are all doctors or all child psychiatrists who happen to be Asian American as well. Um, we do not speak for all of uh, our community. And so these are opinions of four doctors who have given their time to share. Um, and, and with that as well, even though they are doctors, um, what you're hearing today, uh, not medical advice, um, you're not under their care as a patient. And so um, use it for informational purposes, use it as a guide. If you are in need or if you are seeking additional professional help, reach out to folks in your networks. Um, and then please, uh, we encourage you to find the care um, for you and your family as, as you see fit. And, and to uh, help us sort of set the, um, the, the conversation, we're going to go in reverse order this time and start with Dr. Eunice. Um, share with us uh, briefly your, your, your thoughts um, on, on all that's going on. You know, we're not here particularly in response to any event, but just the ongoing um, violence and, and, and things that we're seeing so unfortunate, yet none of us here, at least in this room, are, are surprised. So, uh, Dr. Eunice, what, what, what are your overall thoughts in response to what's been going on? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for raising that question. And, uh, you know, I know we are going to cover so many different perspectives around uh, what happened in the world in the past year and especially in the past few weeks. And I think an immediate thought I have around this event is that, like, the emphasis about paying compassion about self, about being a parent. And as I mentioned, like many of us here, we are wearing many different hats. We are the parents of Asian American children. We are daughter of elderly parents who may be really in high risk at any time at this time. We could be like sister, aunt, or, or any of this important uh, person in the community. We are wearing different hats, not to mention we are Asian American physician, Asian American woman physician who may be dealing with uh, the vulnerable moment with our patients together. And, and so sometimes we forget about having a compassion to ourselves. Like, you know, the phrase of talking about, you know, you, you um, get your oxygen mask for yourself before you share with others. Like, some forget about it as Asian Americans. We want to care about other people before us. But sometimes we forget about we need to have the capacity. We need to have the compassion to ourselves before we can have the capacity to help others. So I want to, like, the immediate thought I have is that Want, also want to share the motivation for, for tonight's event is that we want, we want everyone we want to have a self-care of ourselves, make sure we are doing okay. And by doing that, we are doing exactly what we're doing right now at this moment. We are sharing our mind, sharing our feelings to each other as a support group. And um, I want to pass on to this compassion to self as a parent, as a motivation to take care of our loved ones. So um, I pass this to the, the next person to continue this conversation. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Yeji? Sure. So certainly this has been a very difficult time. And I cannot even remember how long I've been saying this. You know, um, before this, it was pandemic. 
um, you know, even before that, there were a series of things that um, that has been happening around me, but not just um, immediate surroundings of me, but you know, in the world that there are so many things and so much on the news that has been disturbing and saddening and um, concerning. And like Eunice has said, you know, I do try to focus on myself a lot. And I do try to introspect a lot about how I am feeling and how I am doing and how I am going on going. And one thing that I'm trying to find hope in is that I am saddened and frustrated and angered by some of the behaviors of other people, but I still do not try not to lose hope and um, faith in the human kindness and, you know, human, human being itself. But it is hard. You know, I will not lie. It, is, it has been very difficult. But finding support and um, help from other people while looking into myself has been somewhat helpful. <laughs> but if anybody is struggling and feel like, you know, they are, you know, having a, such a difficult time, I am with you and I'm feeling with you. I'm going to piggyback on um, Eunice and you shared. And I think for me, there's a level of intensity in the work that I do where, you know, I, I'm constantly managing crises, um, you know, for many families and youth who are really struggling from remote learning, social isolation, who are coming in really in despair and distress and sense of helplessness and hopelessness. And it takes a heavy toll. Um, and there are moments where I feel like they, they, they say that, you know, doctors are superheroes and I have my cape on and I'm trying to do my best. And then there are moments where I feel utterly vulnerable. And today was one of them. And I find myself that over the course of the past year and over the course of the past few weeks, my um, emotions, I think, comes in waves. There are moments where I feel like, okay, I, I'm doing this advocacy work. I, I'm really taking good care of my family. I'm taking good care of my children. I'm taking care of myself and my patients. Only to find myself maybe, you know, cycling through these roller coasters. And the next minute I'm like, well, okay, I, um, I'm hurt. I'm feeling a lot of anger. I'm feeling a lot of pain. And it's not just a uh, individual, um, you know, emotion that I have for myself, but it's a collective emotion that I have for everyone else, my family, my colleagues, my friends, um, to the whole entire Asian community, to the community, all the people of color who have been weathering so much this past year. And it just seems like it's never ending. And in those moments, um, I hug, I love, I um, hug my kids, I play with them, I be compassionate, try to, you know, as everyone says, focus and put my oxygen mask on first because I wouldn't be able to do all that if I can't take care of myself. Well, I echo everybody's sentiment. I think um, this past year has been really hard for all of us um, as a mom, uh, as a psychiatrist who uh, see a lot of Asian American families, young adults um, who have been feeling the same devastation that I've been feeling. Um, I think that um, for me, working as a co-host for Korean American Parenting also has been something um, that has opened my eyes um, up to the future of our children. And in a way, this is um, my contribution to my community, but also for myself. Um, knowing that this is something that I do for my child so that she can have a better future 
um, better uh, world that may be less racist. Um, so I'm, you know, mindful of what I'm doing and how I feel, and and I want to make sure that my work is impact impactful in my community, but also the future of all our children. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Uh, the first one comes from our, our friends Lois and Dave. She asks, uh, I'm a family nurse practitioner. I have three children aged seven, six, and three, and have debated whether or not to bring these events up to them. My inclination is to shelter them from the ugliness of all this, but also don't want to want them to get caught off guard if they experience racism at school. I'm going to take a dive at that one um, because it happened to me. Um, I came home one day and my daughter was feigning a multitude of symptoms. She's a second grader. Uh, she's seven going on eight. And um, I had this incident where she came back home. She didn't want to go to school the following day. We couldn't figure out what it is. We thought, okay, let's get her screened for COVID. She's complaining a multitude of symptoms. Kept her in school from school that day. And then the following night came home and she told me that I had something to tell you, mommy. Um, and she told me that two classmates had actually we uh, went up to her and um, said, we don't like you, um, you're Chinese, and the Chinese people cause the coronavirus. And I, as a parent, um, was floored and um, didn't know how best. And then I found myself in this precarious situation. Like, we've talked about identity. We've talked about, um, you know, what it means and, and you know, for full disclosure, um, my children are mixed race. They are Caucasian and um, Chinese. Um, and it, it, I felt like as a parent, I couldn't protect her from everything that was going on. And I felt a sense of guilt, a sense of um, not doing, not being good enough. Um, and then I had to put on my child psychiatry hat, like, okay, this is the part where I have to model to her what would be the appropriate thing to do. And, um, you know, said to her, how did you make you feel? What exactly did you do? Um, how do how, how do you think we should address this? At the minimum, letting her know, we're going to have to tell the teachers. Um, and, you know, we decided that I was going to do it and she was going to go tell the teacher and the school responded right away in the most um, phenomenal way. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because to that question, I think it's so important that we talk about it. We have to, because you're right, we don't want to be caught off guard and they need to be prepared and they need to know when the situation happens, they know that it's not okay and that they know who to turn to, to uh, ask for help, to ask for support because it's happening um, at, the, the, at, the, at, at such a young age. And, you know, these children, they're probably hearing it from other people in the family, you know, making these comments. They, they, they may not know how uh, it's hurtful it may be. And when I found out and I spoke with the teacher that, you know, the two boys that um, did this, um, they, they didn't realize how hurtful it, ha it was to my daughter. Um, and and it, it really made me realize how important it is that we need to have these conversations with our kids. Um, it, it's happening. They are experiencing it. Um, they, they need to know that they can come to us to be able to talk about it. So um, I can piggyback on that, um, and I, Annie, I'm so, so sorry again that your, your daughter had to go through that, and I think you handled it very well, handling it very well for her as well. 
So for me, like I said, I have a fifth grader and a kindergarten, and it really depends on where your child is and where developmentally and um and cognitively, and also um, you know in a maturity level as well. For me, I also would like to echo that it is important to start the conversation yourself as a parent in a safe space, in a safe word, rather than having the child hear it from someone else or find it on the internet and have to feel like they have they are going through this on their own. So my daughter, she found out about the recent events, not just from the news, but also from the Google Trends. I did not, the kids were, you know, paying attention to Google Trends, but apparently they are because they're on Zoom all the time and they're on Google all the time. And I just checked this morning that Stop Asian Hate, uh, the hashtag Stop Asian Hate was still on the Google Trends. So I was really glad that I started the conversation with my daughter a few weeks ago, and it was a very meaningful, but I tried my best to keep it into within the vocabulary and the depth of the conversation within her understanding. And it was really surprising how our kids know and understand or and also misunderstand a lot of the information that is floating around on the internet. So Fortunately, my my children has not experienced direct, you know, hate the racism themselves, but they were hearing from it. And I, it is a very valid concern that they might have worries that they may go through that they may face it directly. So I do think also think that it's important to start the conversation, but treat, you know, very gently and see where they are in terms of understanding and how far you can go into that conversation. Thank you so much. Um, next question comes from Sarah, uh, who is the who is a mother of uh, two five-year-old twins. Um, my girls are almost five years old. I notice that they're very timid and quiet with other kids. Uh, they start kindergarten in the fall, and I'm a bit nervous about that, particularly with all the Asian hate going around. I want to teach my kids to stand up for themselves. Um, how do I do that when they seem so shy and quiet? Um, I can answer that. Um, I do have a four-year-old uh, girl, and she, I can describe her the same way, that she is timid and uh, quiet. Um, and, you know, I think this is more um, just a general answering. Uh, when when I was trying to uh, prep her to uh, go to pre-K um, last year, um, I, you know, we been talking a lot about um, friendship, um, but also about what, when there is some, well, initially we talked a little bit about what hap- What do you need to do when things don't go away the way that you don't want, or um, even kids can hurt your feelings or hurt you even though they don't intend to. Um, and one of the things that we talked about is uh, self-efficacy. Well, not in those ter- terms with the three-year-old at that back then, <laughs> but um, knowing when to say no, and uh, you know, we—it was very concrete. We uh, we we practiced having to say no with the hand up um, to let other children of her age know that this is not okay with her. Um, and then we also um, practiced um, telling the teacher when things did happen and she did not know uh, how to navigate that with a peer at that age. Um, this, hap- 
this was something that we had to practice, especially for my child, because um, she uh, and I, I totally knew this was going to happen. She started preschool and any little thing <laughs> that did not go her way, she cried. Um, and, um, you know, she, she just cried m- multiple times a day, but it was really difficult for her, her to articulate what was really happening. So in, in the case of four or five-year-olds, I think the role-playing and practicing and modeling uh, what happens really helps. Um, and of course, it's not gonna, the kids are not going to be able to um, utilize it every single time, but the more you do, uh, the muscles will grow and they will be able to self-advocate for themselves as well. Um, I have something to add to that too. I think like in addition to kind of um, uh, educate our child like what to respond to certain uh, potential racism uh, reaction. Um, I think like at baseline, like that recently I, I have been talking about it to my five years old son as well, is how to embrace the cultural pride um, by doing that. Like how do we uh, embrace who we are as Asian American, the way how we speak, the way the kind of food we eat, the holiday that we celebrate. And I think the easiest in, uh, immediate thing we can try is that how to, how to call out the time when somebody say our name or spell our name wrong and like uh, understanding the meaning of uh, of our uh, original language name like for example I have my son name a Chinese name and also have an American name but for for them like they may not even know the the amazing meaning we have so much thought as a parent has things through all the number of stroke number of meaning and I think like understanding helping your child to understand the name the meaning um, it, it is one of the way to, to uh, foster the cultural pride. I think that is a, a very important thing as parents can do. Thank you uh, both so much for, for your insights. One parent uh, asks, what are the best ways to talk to her half-white, half-Japanese kids, um, given all that's going on? Um, they're eight and nine as, as context. Um, follow-up to that is uh, tips for her as the white mom to support her half white, half Asian kids uh, to embrace their heritage um, while talking about current events. Um, and, and for her, and I applaud her for this, um, she is just recently starting her own anti-racism education journey and feeling a little bit unsure um, and uh, about being the white mom. Um, careful not to center herself or doing anything wrong in addition to that, um, but also really important not to stay silent. I think I think those are really great questions, and um, you know, I, I kind of want to go back to what Eunice was mentioning about embracing cultural pride. Uh, you know, as a mother of mixed race children, um, you know, one of the things that I've had to contend with sometimes is my daughter is her own individual and she has that uniqueness of being able to be you know Chinese and um you know Russian and there are days that she's like I don't want this and I don't want to eat this Chinese food or I don't want to speak Chinese um I want to be American and 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 I let her have to figure that out on her own because it's not 
my place to decide for her who she's going to be. She's she's going to have to eventually find that, you know, um, identity of her. At the same time, I think it's important to also allow her to see, you know, what being Chinese is. Um, means um, and through through my lens, the, the holidays that we celebrate, the um, you know, the the food that we eat, and I think you know it was in the context of that that this incident took place because the school it was around Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year. Um, you know, she was taking so much pride. She gave a talk to her own peers about how to celebrate Chinese New Year in the classroom, and it was subsequent to that that these two classmates made the comments that they did. Um, and certainly I didn't want her to not, um, I don't, I, I never, I would never want her to disown, you know, like because of the fear, because of the harassment to say, I don't want to be Chinese. That, 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 that's not something that I would ever want. Um, you know, and I think that she's able to starting to see like, I, I, mommy is Chinese. I'm half Chinese and I, I, I can, I'm going to be okay with that. Um, and to, and I've also been sometimes very open with her, like, you know, sometimes I, I get scared too right now and I'm getting very angry and I'm angry for you and I'm angry with you with what happened. Um, and, you know, she's not at that age now where she can kind of understand the whole historical context of how this all came about over the course of the United States history. I know that she's going to learn about this at some point. Um, and as for, you know, the parent who's saying, you know, I, I'm white and my children are, you know, mixed race. Um, I think acknowledging it and asking this question is a very proactive step. Um, I think that sometimes understanding the history of um, anti-Asian um, racism in this country is very informative. Um, this problem has definitely magnified itself in a way over the course of the past year, over the pandemic. It's not a new problem. It's been ongoing for hundreds and hundreds of years. And, um, you know, appreciating the lens of how this all came about and how this is being perpetuated, I think it's one way as a parent to um, be more informed and, and to be more empowered. Yeah, um, and I want to echo back to Annie to uh, the point that uh, she brought up, like, Sometimes as parents, we it is okay for us to be have a moment feeling confused and um, expressing that vulnerability to some extent to our child. And I, I want to introduce that concept called permission to feel, which is I practice to my to my children all the time. That like um, it's okay to to feel vulnerable at this moment to our child. At the same time, showing our child that hey, like. Um, I feel scared, I feel like angry and all that, but like I know I am there for you, I know we will be okay. Having that supportive statement and I think like having that permission to feel for us also have a really powerful modeling effect to our child that it's okay to feel that way for you too, just like mommy and like I am here for you. I give the permission for our child to, to, to feel this negative emotion, but we are in this together. Uh, we are, we, I'm supporting you, I'm with you, giving that, supporting that um, secure base to our child. I think that is um, having many of these conversations make it very uh, supportive to our child. So just want to echo back to that and uh, we, we all practice this together. Especially when for, for many Asian American families, the permission to feel is not a common practice. 
but oftentimes if we can show that to our child be okay to do so and they are more welcome to let us know to reach ourselves for help. Awesome, thank you. Um, I'm going to ask a follow-up question or, or a pair of follow-up questions on the same topic um, came from a different parent. Um, and, and so um, we, we covered this a little bit. Um, so the second question, uh, this particular parent, uh, co-parent, her three-year-old half Chinese, uh, half Chinese son with her hapa, but white passing ex-husband, uh, his new girlfriend is white and there are many racial racialized dynamics at play in that relationship. And she believes her son is internalizing some of these dynamics. Um, how should I, if at all, address them with my son, with my ex-husband? Um, and so, uh, for example, um, she feels that she's being dismissed and, and discounted in some of the parenting decisions, even though she's the mother. Um, and uh, some of this, she believes, is objectified as a prop in the, the girlfriend's desire to play out a white savior fantasy uh, with her quote-unquote helpless Asian child. Um, and she's not getting the support from her ex-husband as he is being extremely deferential and not setting protective boundaries for the son. Um and this one is tough. Um, and so I'll, I'll leave it to anybody who wants to address this for us, please. I can go stab at it. I think there's, um, uh, this, this is a very difficult situation. And I appreciate that the mom uh, is reaching out to us to kind of um, kind of get a little bit of a direction on this. And this must be a very, very difficult um, situation for the mom. Um, I th- in my mind, when when I when Jerry read this, um, there are actually two problems going on here that are a little bit separate. One is um, definitely the uh, the racism that the child is feeling, maybe, but also there is um, uh, another layer where uh, it is the purely the relationship between the mom and the dad is playing out here. Um, so I think. It, first thing that needs to be done is to separate those uh, two different layers of events going on and um, focus on what is the right thing for your child first. Um, obviously, if um, the, the interaction between the mom and the dad are difficult and if there is some um, you know, dismissing or uh, even boundary issues between the adults, I think those are something that you do have to address um, on a different occasion. Um, I think in these cases with, you know, um, divorces or separated parents, it's important to focus on what is the right thing for the child and have that conversation with within the adult, um, especially if, um, uh, and leave the child out first. Uh, I think that uh, if you involve the child in the in this discussion, a lot of times it really puts the kid in a uh, in a bind. What how you know whether they're young or teens or even adult child. Um, so I think it is for me um, as a parent, it is my responsibility that uh, problems among the ch- uh, adults should be discussed among the adults. So um, I can add a little bit about kind of a practicality of, of um, kind of like, you know, how to go by for this mom. I think if you can, I don't know about, you know, the family dynamic exactly, but if you can 
convey your message to your ex-husband that you guys actually have the same goal, what is the best for the child, and stay away from being really so hyper-focused on small little things and what you said, what you did, what I did, what, what I said, and uh, move away and look at the big pictures. I want what's best for my child, and I'm pretty sure you want the same thing you know, as well. We may have a different, different views, but I want to work on it because I think us working together as a team will have the best result. So I really, you know, would encourage this person who sent the message to us to work on the bigger picture rather than, you know, staying on hyper-focus on the small things, on, on, you know, on little things. So once you partner with your ex-husband, I think you'll get a better get a result in um, the outcome. Thank you so much. And a little bit of extra context, she is graduating with her um, MSW, her Master's of Social Work degree in a few weeks. So congratulations and uh, thanks for doing things that help all of us. Next question here uh, comes from a teacher. As a teacher, she wants to talk to her class about these issues to support her AAPI kids as well as Nurture Alliances and Solidarity with their other students. Um, any thoughts on the best way to approach it, given that some kids know what's happening while others don't? First of all, I want to applaud this teacher for taking such a proactive stance um, in wanting to do something for the students. Um, a lot of the things I'm hearing from the, 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 the children now that I'm working with is they feel that their school is not acknowledging what is going on and it's not um, checking in on them and everything is just business as usual. They have their midterm, they have their test to do. Meanwhile, they're all struggling with the, with the um, emotions, the hurt, the pain, the anger that they're all feeling. So thank you for doing that. Um, I really think it really depends on what grade you're teaching, what students, um, you know, you know, I think about the high school level um, and, you know, high school students should be aware um, to understand and learn about the history of, of um, anti-Asian, um, you know, sentiments that have been related across the history of the, the American history. I think about, um, you know, what happened in elementary school and how the teacher of my daughter handled it. You know, a, a lot of it is, I think, examples, um, vignettes an anecdote that you know you can just play out like wow what do you guys think about a statement like this if you would just say you know i don't like chinese people cause the coronavirus and just put it out there and and then get a sense gauge what are some of the comments and um feedback from from students and ask them to be like what would it be like if you know someone said that to someone, how do you think that person would feel? How do you think that that, that friend of yours or your classmate of yours would feel if they heard that? Uh, to kind of take an understanding that these words are not just words. They actually um, can impact people. They can affect, um, you know, how someone goes home that day. Um, and to say that, hey, we don't, we can't, we can't say those things. Um, and it's not okay. And then we have to talk about, okay, now if you hear you know, a classmate, say something like that to another friend or another classmate, what do we do about it? How do we help that person? And then give them those tools and those scripts, whether that may be 
you know, checking in and, hey, are you okay? Or, uh, hey, what you said, that's not cool. Um, those are little tools for bystander intervention that they can do at their level. Um, and, 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 and they, 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 they can do that because, um, you know, kids are quick learners. Um, and if we teach them those things, they, they will, they will utilize it and they will apply it. Um, but it has to be modeled to adults. And then when they see it happen, when adults are modeling that, they will absorb it too. Um, I'm going to add on to that. So as a teacher and as a parent and as anybody, I think it is important to teach the kids um, on what what it means to be different and what and, and understanding it's okay to be different from everybody else or, you know, each other has a unique features and what is right versus wrong. So, for instance, you can use any analogy that will fit, fit to your classes understanding level maturity or you know popularity even um you could even talk about you know using the analogy of pj mask you know uh the pj mask you have each a different color but that doesn't mean the red is right and green is wrong it's just that everybody has a different color and that's a difference and it's okay if any everybody is different but there is a right versus wrong to it if somebody doesn't does not like your or say hurtful things just because you are different, that is wrong. And in that, in these cases, and you can you can quote any of the news if there is enough understanding in your audience and your you know in your kids. Um, if somebody says they don't like you just because you are Chinese, just because you're Asian, just because you are different, then that that is what the grown-ups say is racism, and it's not right. It is wrong then you can ask for help to any of the grown-ups around you and you can give a very explicit um, examples on who you who they can ask for help so i think um it's, it's really interesting because in korean language there are two words that describe different and wrong and a lot of people um, use it interchangeably and i remember having this conversation with my daughter early on saying that do not confuse those two because different cannot mean wrong and that is really important you know important idea and concept for the kids to have so okay this is um, I'm getting attacked because I'm different and this is wrong so I think um, you know having the conversation with your child even in the classroom and at home is going to be really important awesome thank you we did get a little bit of context on age it was fourth grade uh, they learned about Chinese Exclusion Act last year. They talk about Black Lives Matter and transgender visibility. Holy crap, I wish I had you as a teacher when I was in third and fourth grade. That is awesome. So with COVID and everything, we're not spending as much time with grandparents. But we also know that you know the way that we view the world and the way that we view social issues may not be the same. How do we handle differences of opinion uh, to our kids? Or how do we handle that when our parents and we may not agree on how to view the world, even with all that is going on? Yeah, yeah, I can speak to that. That exactly question reminded me a um, a skit event that I held the other day in at Yale. Uh, so, so as I mentioned, I am the founder for Chat Together, using interactive theater to address cross-cultural issue in Asian American family. And we we had a skit event exactly addressing this issue, having um, not grandparents, but like parents who are first generation immigrants 
who may share a very different approach and perspective about racism. Maybe they think like, you know, they, the time when they came to this country, they uh, they work very hard. They, the, the primary goal will be like sort of like surviving the country. And that priority will be way more than speaking up against racism. But then having uh, a child, teenager or young adult, uh, adolescent, young adult, they they, they are raised here, they, they, um, they experience racism and want to reach out to their parents. But then by speaking up to their parents, they, they did not get the validation that they have. And on, on the other hand, they get dismissed as if like, okay, this is not a big deal. Just like, you know, work hard, focus on your schoolwork and don't worry about, don't rock the boat, that kind of conversation. So, so we, we had a really great discussion about what matters to uh, to the child and parent conflict in this particular important issue. We recognize that in many Asian American families, it may be the first time ever to have this kind of conversation. And we recognize the difference of cross-cultural, cross-generation differences in, in thinking about this perspective. And we also, you know, like helping helping the parents to understand the psychological impact of racism. If the child go to you reaching out for comfort to help and on the other hand i don't get validated i get like dismissed and that kind of really immediately sends a message to the child saying that maybe the issue is not important and then further trickling down the internalization of thinking maybe i am not important maybe i am being asian american is not important even my parents think so you know that that kind of internalization that kind of thinking process is it, really devastating it's really like traumatizing to the child and so so like we, we need to like um think of helping the parents I would, of course we're not, not blaming or judging parents at this moment in time we would just want to kind of point to that point point to, point out a point uh the, the observation that like many of our parents we, we have different thinking about the approach to uh what happens to when when, when we get attacked when we have like being named being called and like, you know, if it is really impacting our child's psychological well-being and we love our children, you know, words matter. And so, so like, maybe we can have like a, a little bit change of approach to validate that feeling because it matters to them. And so, so uh, I think like that this is a really great conversation to have and it is one of the many conversations we will continue to have in our community. So I um, want to open up to anyone to uh, follow up this question. I can add, um, so, you know, Eunice talked a little bit about you know, older children, um, and I think also for younger um, moms that um, have younger children, like myself, sometimes, um, you know, have grandchildren, grandparents who are very involved in ch children's care. Um, I think it, it comes down to what you are okay with and what you are not okay as a parent. Um, in our culture, I think there is a um, hierarchy in terms of who gets to have the last say, and you know, we as as children, adult children, sometimes we have to hold our tongue. But um, I think the one place that I personally think is important to have a little bit more autonomy and more say is how you raise your children. You know your children better, um, especially when um, you know when you have a first generation parent. And your 1.5 or second generation, your child, our uh, child is 1. Point, you know, two, two second generation or 2.5 generation. And they're gonna be Asian Americans. This is all they know. Um, you know, they may be ethnically Korean, Chinese, Japanese, 
but they are Asian American. And so I think one of the things that you do have to think about, I think this is more of a kind of conceptual thing that where what kind of identity and what kind of um, you know philosophy do you want your child to grow up with? And when when other people like your parents are um, talking about things that might not agree with that philosophy, are you are you okay with that? And if you're not okay with that, then you do have to put that boundary on. It is hard um, because because of the way that we were brought up, but it, it is something that um, you know you do have to put your foot down and say this is not allowed in my household. I I I also wanted to add to this too. I think that you know um, I I often been reflecting on the road that I took to be where I am. Um, you know, I am, I am, I, I'm, an, I, I'm an immigrant. I immigrated um, from Hong Kong when I was six years old. And, um, you know, when I first came to the country, you know, my family and I, we kind of stuck within the, um, the community and the neighborhood that we were in, right? And, you know, for most of my life, I think my parents remained there. Um, you know, more more adhering to to the predominantly Chinese um, community. You know, when I went to medical, when I went to college, when I went to medical school, and then now I'm working in, in you know a hospital center. I'm appreciating a uh, a world that they've never um, really truly immersed themselves in, and in that sense, I find myself having a very different perspective about inclusivity, sense of belonging, identity in a much larger world. And so my um, experiences, my values, my way of looking at things are going to be very different from my parents because of lived experiences. And I think about well, what is it, how do I want to raise my child? Um, and how will they integrate themselves into this larger uh, world. What is that going to look like? And I think you talked about being a global citizen, right? I think to myself, I want to raise a child who's going to be a global citizen. And what does that mean? Um, and it's about taking what I know now and, and sharing that with them and expanding on them. And, have, and that's why it's so important to have these conversations to help them develop their sense of identity um, in a way that's going to be different from my folks, right? Myself. Um, because and so setting those and it's more about expansion, I think, and and making sure that you know I take the best of some of my what my parents share with me, and I may listen and acknowledge their way of doing things, and also know well if I had continued to do those things, I would not have been able to you know uh, walk this path for myself because it didn't work. I had to change. I had to evolve. I had to adapt. And I would learn, want my children to have those tools to be able to be agile, to adapt, to expand, and develop their sense of self down the road. Excellent. Um, as we hit the one-hour mark, I, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's here. Um, continue to ask your questions, but I do want to shift the focus just a little bit um, and, and focus on ourselves and, and focus on parents. Um, as parents, we, we often spend so much time and energy and just everything t trying to take care of our kids that we often don't prioritize um, ourselves. And this has hit me personally in, in so many ways that 
I, I don't even know how to process half of it. Um, what are you individually doing to take care of yourselves? And what are some tips and advice that you may have for our parents listening um, to to not neglect um, ourselves and our care to make sure that we're okay? So I'll start. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't get to go do the fancy spa. I don't get to <laughs> do a lot of those, like, you know, uh, cliche things that they, they talk about the self-care. But what I have been doing is being more involved in the community. Um, recently, I live in a, you know, sub- suburb near New York, New York City, and our community had a, a gathering uh, with our neighbors uh, against the Asian hate. And going to that place and seeing so many people around us that are not just typical East Asian that I would have thought that would be there was really comforting. And reaching out to the people that I felt safe was really comforting for me as well. For me, I really, I'm a, I'm a kind of um, extrovert, (laughs) ultimate extrovert. So, I find energy and comfort from other, you know, by connecting with and communicating with other people too. So that has been really helpful for me. And I, I, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I recently watched a movie called Minari and I know it has been, um, you know, featured a lot. And it's that experiencing that another, you know, immigrant family who's going through a lot of difficulties in a different time and, but in the same country has really somehow resonated with me and has actually comforted me because maybe this is something that um, a lot of people are going through with me and it maybe it'll be okay and my kids will turn out to be okay. <laughs> um, so I think that's just, that's just my, my part. But, you know, being, um, being in the community and feeling the community that supports me has been really helpful. You know, yeah, I, I think that self care for me has been um, more than just the cliche uh, because I've tried those cliche things and half the time I feel like I'm doing all those things and still not working. Um, so I, I think validation has been very important in the past few weeks. Um, whether that may be, because I think that when you go through these experiences, you really sometimes doubt um, your sense of self and you question like, what is it all for? You know, do I really belong in America? Why am I being targeted? A lot of self-doubt or questioning of self really kind of starts kicking in. And if we don't ground ourselves, we don't kind of sometimes reach out to other people and um, kind of do like a sounding board, like a, a reflecting like, hey, is, is what I'm going through um, part of the norm here? Or am I just like, you know, in my own headspace and this is really not healthy? Um, so Jean will attest to this too. <laughs> like, I, I think I, 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 we're, we're three time zones away and yet we are so close. Um, uh, and to, to kind of validate um, each other and, you know, advocacy work is um, really important. Um, you know, joining our professional organizations to try to, you know, make sense of all of this and how to really affect change and giving back to my community. Um, and at the end of the day, when I'm with the patients and I know that they're all in crisis and I know that I may be seeing five patients, but they're seeing this one doctor uh, that day. Um, and I do everything that I can to be as compassionate and uh, as, 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 as validating to them. That, that actually helps feed my soul um, in terms of self-care. 
yes, Danny, talking to you feeds my soul too. Um, <laughs> um, well, I'm going to echo um, any, uh, any sentiment that I do um, surround myself with um, a lot of people, um, both um, colleagues and family and friends who we can process these things. We do, uh, I've, I've been making spaces for my loved ones and my colleagues to talk about our feelings uh, and feel safe. Um, and that's been really helpful for many reasons. And, and then that's how this room um, came about because we really wanted to extend that safety to the people who are here today. Um, and so, so seeing everybody, so many people here also does make me feel so much better about what's going on. Um, other than that, on a concrete level, um, because I am a telepsychiatrist, um, and so I spend almost all day on Zoom, um, and also uh, my usual go-to break would be social media. And so I have been mindfully taking myself off all electronics um, after my child has gone to bed so that I can sit out in the lawn with my husband and just, you know, relax. I think I find that that's the only time where I can actually feel the most relaxed and not think too much about either work, events, my child, but just kind of sit there and enjoy the sunset. And that has been really helpful for me. So um, just kind of taking time for yourself and not, um, and, and, you know, detach yourself from everything. Um, that has been my self-care. I echo back to everyone who have just mentioned to like those self-care. Like I love those uh, personal time when my kids fall asleep and then like, yeah, I, I, I love those times too. My husband and I time and, and at the end of the day, it definitely um, recharged myself. And, and also like I want to bring up um, a thinking process too. I feel like in this chaotic world that happened in the past year and especially in the past few weeks, I think I... Like, um, helping kind of like mindful about identifying some consistency in our life is really helpful. Try to look at, um, focus on things that would not change, even though everything else that changes, many things like our, our expectations, really chaotic outside, but, but there's always something is consistent. We have our family, we have our children, we, we have a wonderful weather, spring is here. We have, some of us, I would still have good health, we have job and then many things that is unchanged people they are still they are kind people out there although they are not so kind people out there you know like focusing on something that is consistent in life i think that is also helpful mindset as well awesome thank you um she is a math teacher in brooklyn and two of her classes are chinese bilingual courses and so she has a fair amount of asian students in them uh, when she was talking about Asian hatred crimes or hate crimes uh, to her Asian students, a fair amount of them did not really care. Uh, she asked them to imagine what if these happened to your parents. Uh, one kid just responded, my parents are in Asia, so I can't relate. Um, what do I do here? Um, she wants to help, but they're not being receptive because they are um, perhaps otherizing themselves out of the Asian American experience given um, where their family is. Um, I think it's so important to meet where everyone is. 
Um, and, you know, just with any uh, situation, I think we have to embrace that, you know, everyone is going to have their own re- reaction and everyone's going to process, um, you know, their the experience um, at their time, at their place, at their speed. And so, um, you know, it, it may be that because it's not personally directly impacting them, they, they may, um, you know, not feel that there's a need to care or, you know, they, they may be taught like to kind of, you know, I mean, I'm just making assumptions, right? And I think that, you know, we, we, we need to kind of uh, respect um, sometimes where, where, um, you know, where that individual is. And I, I think that's, that's something I've kind of come to terms with also a lot as, as a mental health professional is that I may have a conceptualization. I may have a formulation as to what's going on. Um, I have to make sure that, you know, my patients, their parents are, are ready to hear that before I can really present it. I mean, I might present it in a more gentle way or in a more, um, you know, slower pace than I would someone who is ready to embrace it. So gauging that, I think, is very important. Um, I think that, you know, you, you bring it up and then you have to kind of see where, feel the room, engage the room and, and see where people are um, because this is delicate. And sometimes you would assume, right, that they, they should respond or that they should be this. But should is a very... Um, a, a, a word that needs to be kind of, you know, be cautioned because we, we shouldn't be expecting people to be a certain way or react a certain way. Um, we have to meet them where they are. Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to add, you know, like similar things, but I also wanted to thank the teacher who has wrote, written to us about uh, being mindful about and insightful about that. Um, there is a saying in, in our training in psychiatry that we have to meet the patient in the middle. So we can't uh, force somebody to accept our help. And it's, even though the, the writer is not a psychiatrist, I, I think it kind of like applies to a lot of things in our life. That, but what's most important thing, what's most important is that this, this, your students are going to know that you are willing to meet in the middle, that you are full on waiting for them if they need any help, that that will make them feel better, that itself. And then they don't have to make the full step to ask for help. They just need to meet you in the middle. So I'm really glad that you are reaching out to them. And even though they don't seem to be responding, I know they are, they have um, heard you and they have, that has affected them. So, you know, that gesture, that just kind of, um, you know, kind words itself, um, it's going to have a huge impact on them. I want to also add to what Annie and Yedi uh, said. I think also you have to think about fear. Um, these kids may not show it, but there might be some fear in just even talking about it. Um, sometimes uh, when the fear is really big, you don't even want to talk about it because you feel like the fear can come come true. And in and in this case, you know, especially in New York City, I think this is very real. So I echo uh, your sentiment that the fact that you're actually mentioning it and acknowledging that this is really hard, um, all the kids are hearing you. They might they might 
behave like they're not hearing you, but they heard you. And so um, just continue the talk um, and let them be and be able to simmer in their head. And when they do need help, they will come for you. Thank you so much uh, for all the folks who've asked questions uh, for, for our, our friends up here. Um, we're going to start wrapping up here. Uh, we've been at this for a little bit more than an hour. Um, and so if you have any very, very last questions that you want to get in before we wrap, um, please DM or email them over to me. Um, and so we'll, we'll start. And if there's a question that comes in, we'll, we'll take a pause, but um, we'll go in the order that we started with. And so starting with you, uh, Jang, any and any final thoughts or anything, um, words of uh, perhaps not advice, but just comfort? Um, we hope that the attacks, the violent ones are behind us. Um, we don't know. We hope not. Um, but we, we may not be out of the woods yet. And th- these might be conversations that we continually may have to have with our children, um, particularly as schools are opening back up, particularly as businesses are opening back up, which means that we're going to be out in public more. Um and then, so any any thoughts on that regard as we look to um, what is a, a good time from a COVID perspective, but a very concerning time from a public safety perspective? Um, well, it's been a very scary, also tiring year. Um, but I want to focus on the silver lining, um, the fact that we're having this kind of space and actually talking about things. I also, in my clinical um practice, I see a lot of Asian American young adults and young professionals speaking out there for themselves. I think of them as um, the Asian Americans actually looking out for themselves and doing actual self-care. So all of that and also seeing all these people come together and all all the allyship that I've been seeing, um, that's been the silver lining. I do think that, um, you know, things do have to get bad before it gets better and sometimes that's what I learned through my psychiatry residency and it feels like that 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 things do have to get bad before it starts getting better and so there is sliver of hope um so hang in there continue to take care of yourself and your loved ones um I I think that um my parting thoughts and then trying to summarize, you know, collectively what we're all experiencing and what I'm also feeling. Um, this is going to be a marathon because what we're seeing right now is a lot of explicit acts of hate. Um, and there are still um, a lot of structural um, racism that happens um, in many professional domains. Um, we're talking about it in Hollywood. We're talking about it in sports teams. We're talking about it in corporations um, and also in medicine and in the political domain. Um, you know, there there are ongoing things that we need to change, and for for all of this to be better, um, both explicit and implicit um, discrimination needs to be a, a, a trust, and so. In that sense, I think that, you know, as Asian American parents, as Asian American professionals, we, we need to kind of empower ourselves and also to empower our um, children to be prepared to continue that fight for social equity. Um, this is also the time where I feel like it's very novel in the sense that 
I was turning on CNN the other day and there were anchors talking about anti-Asian hate and their experiences. And the fact that this is being brought to a very national dialogue um, at, at the forefront, um, it, it's very, it feels different than maybe um, in, in my lifetime of, of talking about uh, discrimination. So I, I, I welcome that because that, that, that is evolution in itself. Um, and I feel very hopeful about that, that, you know, having the space right now is one example of that, but continuing to see more of that is, is what's needed. Okay, so a few things. <laughs> and so I, I really, one TV show that I really like from old days is uh, um, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> and one of the things, one of the shows that he mentioned um, about finding helpers. So what I want my child to get out of the conversation I have with her and him is that there's always helpers around you. And I think that it's really helpful to know as a child to feel safe even though whatever's going around you. You want your, I mean, like, you know, in the ideal world, you want your child to see or think that there are only rainbows and cupcakes in the world, but there are broccoli and carrots in the world. And it's okay. There will be a grown-up around you that's going to help you. So I think that is the message that, as a parent, that you want to send to your child. And another thing is that I would like to, um, you know, um, share this article that's written by our good friend and colleague Suzanne Song that is on NBCnews.com and and she wrote an article about how to talk to your you know child as a AAPI parent and it was just released published yesterday and that is an article that's going to be really helpful if you're looking for any further resources. Um, lastly, you know the the, the I mean, kind of games that I can I do with my my children sometimes is that I write different features of the of themselves in a post-it, and we I make up a big uh, picture like a puzzle pieces, and one of them is being Korean, right? And I say that you know a lot of these things make up who you are, and being Korean is just part of you, just one piece of your puzzle. And if somebody judges you just by this piece, and is ignoring the rest of the wonderful pieces that you have within you, then it, it is their loss and it is, it is wrong. And, you know, doing some of some things like kind of hands-on activities with the child might help them understand this complicated, difficult, and hard-to-understand topics. Um, I would like to echo back to um, everyone speak before me and, like, all those that are really comforting and and. Um, take away messages to our audience tonight. And, you know, I think, like, um, I have a few things to summarize. Like, um, at this moment, please don't worry alone. I think, like, that's one thing, like, when the when, when things happen like this, we need to remember we don't worry alone. Just like tonight, right at this moment, we have so many wonderful, loving parents. We care about our children. We gather together, too. To worry about the same issue and so please don't worry alone we are here for you we are standing strong together facing this together as one piece of asian american community and second is that uh, we want to reiterate like compassionate to ourselves as parents and compassionate to our child remember the self-care we need to take care of ourselves before we take care of every everybody else in in our family and lastly, I would want to emphasize really the cultural pride 
we want to pass on our cultural pride. Remember, be proud of who we are as Asian Americans. Remember our, our tradition, our culture, our languages, our success, and for women, our beauty, our Asian woman beauty, and and pass on the pride to our next generation. We need to remember that. Um, and we are at the right position and right timing to reiterate this point. Thank you so much um, for making this space, this time, um, sharing us with your your expertise, um, both professional and, and personal, as we navigate a time that I don't think we've ever seen before um, and, and we hope to never, ever see again. Um, for me, I am often reminded by the things that our grandparents went through um, in the home country, what our parents went through, whether they were uh, immigrants here, whether they were refugees here, and um, we are their descendants. And so we owe it to them to uh, get through this and then to make sure that um, our kids and our grandkids too um, live in a better world because that's all the sacrifices that they made for us. So um, we will put, uh, if you're listening here live, um, uh, check out the podcast tomorrow on Korean American Parenting. Uh, we'll put the links to some of the articles that were mentioned. We will also put a link to a great uh, collection of resources that uh, is uh, that was shared uh, by the Mass Gen Hospital. It is uh, mghstudentwellness.org slash racism. A lot of resources for students, for teachers, for parents. Um, so we'll put that in there. We will also put information about all of our amazing speakers. Um, and again, um, echoing what everybody said, um, Please never feel alone in any of this. We're all going through this together, and um, nobody, no, no human, uh, psychiatrist or not, um, is prepared to deal with this. And so, um, we we will get through this together. Uh, check in on your friends, check in on your colleagues, uh, check in on your family members. And so, we really appreciate you spending time with us. Some of you have been here uh, since the beginning for an hour and, and sixteen minutes now. So, uh, please take care of yourselves. Um, and so. Uh, we hope we don't have to do this again. Uh, we, we hope that we are, uh, we have turned a corner, but, uh, thank you so much for what you do to, uh, all the doctors here on stage and uh, to all of our friends who've joined us, uh, as we say on the show, um, be healthy, be safe and be happy. So thanks everybody. Be well.